Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. Well, good morning. How are you guys doing today? How many of you had a good Christmas? A few of you. All right. How many of you are just happy that it's over, though? Be honest. Come on. You could be real in church. So glad I don't have to try and pick out gifts because I'm horrible at picking gifts. My wife says if it was up to me, I would just give everybody cash. I would because I'm not good at it. So it stresses me out. Anyways, for me, my issue with the holidays is my own eating. And I want to give you a little background on me. When I was in high school as a senior, I had a guy that I worked with who was a junior. And he was originally from Italy. And uh, his name was Vince. And Vince was a little butterball, and uh, he just thought he could eat me under the table because I didn't look real, you know, big. And uh, so I just said, no, I can eat you under the table. So one day at lunch, we went to Shakey's Pizza Parlor, all-you-can-eat buffet, start out with some greasy fried chicken, some greasy mojo potatoes, and then we started eating pizza, real thin sliced, but he takes off to an early lead. He's got a big grin on his face. But I'm closing ground. He's slowing down. I'm closing ground. We get to about 15 slices, and he's starting to take me serious now. And all of a sudden, he's just like chewing a little bit at a time. We get to 24, and he looks at me, and he goes, you want to call it a tie? And I'm like, yeah, because if I don't, I think I'm going to die here. (laughs) And I'm like, wow. To me, the holidays are like one eating contest. Instead of mano y mano, I have cheerleaders now. I walk up. And I look at all the desserts and all the food, and I hear voices as I'm going, oh, man, I'm so stuffed. Oh, I really shouldn't. And I hear them say, Graham, go ahead. It's the holidays. Enjoy yourself. Have another slice. The only problem with that is that you have a little regret. Like I regretted eating 24 slices of pizza, especially when I went to work that day. And uh, my friend regretted it because my buddy told me when he went back to class, he turned green. Okay? And... I'm telling you, I regret all the eating I've done. I'm being honest with you. When I got on the scale this morning, I stepped on that scale, and it literally said, one person at a time, please. And I was like, no way. This is not good. When we think about the holidays, you know, we start thinking about the New Year's and what's going on. And I just want to say something. You know, um, if you're here and maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not sure what you believe, what I'm going to be sharing today is, is how we as Christians approach our challenges in life because we have all the same problems you do so i just want to give you some insight into that if you're like me sometimes it means hey i'm going to lose some weight i'm going to join a gym maybe get onto your budget a little bit better they have all kinds of things we want to do and so we set these things i think making plans and having goals is absolutely great i would do it but i can't think of anything else greater than this going into this year and saying god you know what as one of my major, major goals, I want to know you better. I want to know you more this year than I've ever known you before. Like, I want you in my life. And I just believe the secondary thing is simply this. God, I want to live out your purpose You know, you can do a lot of things in this world and be called a success. They're not bad things, but to me, 
You can be a success in the world and still miss out on the purpose for which you were created. So the second thing to me is, God, not only do I want to know you more, but I want to do your will this year. And the thing that I'm going to share with you today is something that will actually help you embrace both of those things. In fact, I would say this. What I'm going to share with you today is one of those keys of the kingdom. Jesus said to Peter, I give unto you the keys of the kingdom of God, meaning there's plurality there. There's more than just one key. Now, what do keys do? In those days, they didn't start cars. But keys open doors and give you access to things that you could not otherwise access. And what we're talking about here is accessing the things of the kingdom of God. And this key that I'm talking about has been used by the people of God throughout the centuries to do impossible things, to overcome obstacles, to see strongholds brought down. It has been something that has opened up heaven and brought the miraculous right here where we live on earth. And what I'm talking about is the key of prayer and fasting. And the essence of prayer and fasting is we're simply humbling ourselves under His mighty hand. And when you humble yourself under God's mighty hand, you are positioning yourself to receive grace, even greater grace or ability to do what you cannot do. See, for what happens when we fast and pray is when you say no to one appetite, you are saying yes to another. You are literally causing your spiritual metabolism to rev up. By saying no to one, you say yes to another. And fasting and prayer is critical for us, individually and as a church. And I want to go to the Gospel of Matthew. And here's the one thing I want you to walk out of here remembering today. Fasting makes room for more of God's presence. Fasting makes room for more of God's presence. We're going to go to the Gospel of Luke, excuse me, Matthew. I did say Matthew, right? Matthew chapter 9, verse 14. We know that Jesus was baptized by John, comes up out of that experience. The Holy Spirit descends on him. John declares, this is the Messiah. He goes into a time of prayer and fasting, comes out in the power of the Holy Spirit, and signs and wonders and miracles follow him. But John's disciples notice that his disciples are not doing what the Pharisees do. Because the Pharisees fast every Monday and every Thursday all year long. And they also are following that tradition apparently, and they're fasting, and they're saying, if you're the Messiah, what's up with your disciples? And we see them ask this question in verse 14. It says, one day the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus, and they asked him, they said, why don't your disciples fast like we and the Pharisees do? Jesus replied, do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Now he goes on to give us a few more illustrations, but I want to stop there for a second. Think with me. If your buddy was getting married and he said, hey, I want you to come to my wedding, what do you think a wedding should look like? Do you think a wedding should look like an atmosphere of celebration, a party environment, somewhere where you're going to go and you're going to get excited, somewhere where even people as white as I am 
will still get out on the dance floor and bust some moves. It's not pretty. I'm not lying. It's not pretty, but I'm going to do it. And I'll get out there and I'll bust some moves and I'll have a good time. And guess what? All kinds of food is flowing. Cake is flowing. Everybody's having a good time. Can you imagine somebody being at that wedding and all of a sudden they're off in the corner while everybody's out there going celebrate, have a good time, or whatever the modern songs are. That's my era. And it's like this guy's off in the corner going, do you want any cake? No. Do you want to dance? No. Do you want any food? No. Well, dude, what are you doing? I'm fasting. They're like, dude, do you not know that that doesn't really fit the occasion here? And Jesus is saying, hey, how can my disciples fast when I'm right here? His presence is the key to understanding this passage. As long as I'm with you, everything you could possibly need is right here with me. Is your mother-in-law need healed? Let's go pray for her. You couldn't cast out the demon? Here's how it's done. Oh, you're afraid of the waves and the winds? Let me rebuke them for you. You don't understand that parable? Let me explain it to you. Oh, you need to pay your taxes? Go cast your line in the lake and pull out a fish with some coins in its mouth. Jesus is saying, hey, they can't fast because the Messiah is here. And everything that they need is present in me. But there's going to come a day when the groom is taken away through death, burial, and resurrection, and in those days, then they will fast. Well, what are we fasting for? The one thing that was taken away, him, his presence. His presence is why we're fasting and praying. We're going after the presence of God. We're seeking his face. Now, I know that's not a term that we use much. Like, if I was to say to Steve down here, hey, Steve, I want to seek your face. How many of you know Steve might punch me? He doesn't really know what that means, but he doesn't like it because it doesn't sound good. But let me explain to you what it means when he says, seek my face. Come after me. When my wife and I go to weddings, inevitably, I will eventually talk her up. Now, she had 16 years of dancing lessons, and I'm the one talking her into going on the floor. Perhaps she's a little embarrassed to be seen with me on the dance floor. I don't know. It's just a thought. But there's always a slow song, and I love those slow songs. And I'll tell you why. Because as clumsy as I am, I start dancing with my wife, and eventually, like everything in that room fades out. And all of a sudden, I'm looking into her eyes, and I can't even describe it. It's like magical. It's like amazing. We're not even saying words, but there is communication going on. I would feel awkward doing that with anyone else. I really would, but with her, I'm not. And as we look eye to eye, those moments are amazing. They are some of my most favorite moments on the face of the earth. Why? Because as we're looking, there's, a, there's an intimacy and a communication taking place. It's into me see. And God is saying, into me see. And in those moments, as we seek him, we get to know him. Because prayer and fasting is really all about making room for more of him and his presence in our lives. When I was growing up, they built a mall in 1971, and it was called the Northridge Fashion Mall. It was about 15 miles from where I lived, and everybody went there, a big two-story mall, and they had this really cool area where you were prone to see a lot of hippies hanging out because the hippies were alive and well in those days. 
And I think it's because they might have been on drugs. I'm not sure. But we had this one area in the mall that had this huge sunroof. And right around that area was like a big cutout in a circular area. And there was a prism there. And that prism was two stories tall. And we'd stand there. And the other people would stand there and go, whoa, dude. I don't know what they were taking, but it must have been good. But what happens when that sunlight hits a prism is the sunlight is refracted into seven different colors. Isn't that cool? The rainbow has seven different colors. So you could stand there and just look at the rainbow. And it was amazing. But you know what's really interesting about the prism? Is if you trace orange all the way back to the source of its light, it comes back to the sun. If you trace red, it comes back to the sun. If you trace indigo, it comes back to the sun. If you trace violet, it comes back to the sun. That is the source of everything that comes through that prism. Whenever people in the Bible needed God to do a miracle, something miraculous, or to deliver them, you can trace their prayers back to the presence of the S-O-N, the Son, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. When they needed to understand what God's will and mind was for their life, in Acts 13, 2, you could trace that back to the presence of the Son. Everything, when it comes to prayer and fasting, no matter what you're doing, all comes back to seeking Him, seeking His presence in our lives. And why would we seek His presence in our lives? Because I believe this. There is so much more about God that I don't know than I do know. There is so much more of Him that I've yet to experience. And I know that I'm hungry for more of Him. In John 16, 12, Jesus said these words to His disciples. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't handle them now. You can't handle the truth. You could have laughed right there. It was a really bad attempt at a joke. But what is he saying? He's saying, oh man, he goes, you don't even know what the Father and I have planned for you. There's so much we want to pour out into your lives right now, but you know what? If we try to pour it out right now, you're not going to be able to handle that new wine because the new wine is talking about a new spirit, a new heart, as Ezekiel said in Ezekiel 36, 26, that God said, I'm going to put a new spirit, a new heart within you that has the capacity to handle the new wine, but you're still going to have to go after being filled with this new wine. It doesn't just fall on you. Did you notice that in the kingdom of God, you, it's never just a good thing to always stay in neutral? Matthew eleven twelve 12 says, from the time of John the Baptist to now, the kingdom of God has advanced forcefully. And the forceful lay hold of it. That means that passivity doesn't advance. It forcefulness does. There's something about saying, God, I'm hungry for more of you in my life. Blessed are those who thirst and hunger for his righteousness. There's a blessing. There's a feeling that only comes when we hunger for him. A hunger that only he can satisfy. And God, I believe, wants to do so much more in the lives of every single person in this church this year. I believe he has so much more he wants to say to you, so much more he wants to do. Some of you are in tough situations, and God wants to raise you up out of those situations. And I promise you, 
This key can position you to receive those things that you need from God. I want to look at one more scripture out of Ephesians 3, 17. It says, And I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts as you trust in him. Do you guys feel more at home in some places than others? I do. You know, I could hop a jet tomorrow, show up on my parents' doorstep, walk in, and basically take that place over. Grab the remote, walk in, eat their food, raid the junk food that's just received for, uh, just stored away for grandkids. I could raid that too. I could pop out just say, hey, I'm going to relax in the jacuzzi or take a couple laps or whatever. I could just hang out there. And you know what? I just feel good. Why? Because I know, here's what I know my parents. They love me. I am welcome in that home. They want me there. They're happy that I'm there. And here's what I would say to you. Christ lives in every believer, but he's not at home in every heart. Because that's about us saying, Jesus, come take all of me. You are welcome in my life. You're welcome in my heart, and I want more of you. So let's look at one more aspect of fasting. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6. And how many of you could say, I want more of him. I want to know him more. In Matthew 6, verse 16, it says, When you fast, it's assumed that if you're a follower of Jesus, you will fast. Do not be sad-faced like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they're fasting. I assure you, they have received their full reward. I can't imagine what that looked like, but Jesus is talking about real people that he's seen. Can you imagine that? On the day that they fast, they walk down the street, maybe looking like this. It's like, what's wrong with him today? What, why is he making, oh, it's his fasting day. How do you, yeah, whenever he's fasting, he makes that face. Well, he's got his reward because he's proven he's spiritual. He said, let's not do it like that. He said, hey, how about you take a shower? How about you put some cologne or perfume on? How about you not broadcast it? And watch this in verse 18. So that no one except your heavenly Father who is there in the secret place may notice your fasting, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The Father sees us in secret. When we are in that place of being alone, and there's times we feel that aloneness. We're, we're there. We're in that place. It says God is in that place with us. And he sees us in that place. And he hears us in that place. And the Bible says when we are fasting and praying for the right reason, that God notices it. And guess what else? It says, and there is a reward that is attached to that kind of fasting. There's a reward that comes with fasting that does not come with anything else. And let me tell you something. When you add prayer to fasting, you just turbocharged your prayers. I like to say it this way. When you fast and pray, it's like prayer on steroids. It's like going before the throne of God and say, 
Lord Jesus, do it now. <laughs> Deliver me now. I'll be back if you don't. You know, it's like, it's like prayer on steroids, man. It's amazing. And I think this is another thing that I love about God's rewards. It's kind of like the true riches. How many of you know it doesn't matter how much money we make on this side of heaven? There's going to come a day that we're going to give our inheritance away. We're going to pass it on. But the true riches are eternal. And there's a difference between earthly and heavenly riches. And here's what I mean. Do you ever just have to have a toy? Guys, you know what I'm talking about, right? Your wife says, hey, it's not in the budget. And you say, yeah, but I think it could be. And I think it should be in the budget. And you just relentlessly beat that woman down until she gives in. Not in a physical sense. But you wear her down. And you get your toy. And isn't it amazing how much we love that toy? And it's like, I'm happy. I've got my toy. And then several years later, your toy shows up in a garage sale for pennies on the dollar. What happened? It lost its bling. It lost the wow factor. The new car's not new anymore. You need another one. Do you know the true riches of heaven never lose their bling? They never lose the wow factor for all of eternity. And the rewards, I believe, that God gives us have an eternal impact. And they never lose that wow factor. I believe some of those rewards are literally the answers to our prayers. I want to share with you a few answers to prayers as a result of prayer and fasting. Several years ago, there was a couple in my church. They'd been trying to have a child for about 10 years. They, at that time, were foster parents, were considering adopting all really great things. And they came and they sat down, and the husband talked to me. He said, you know what? He said, I... I want to pull the trigger on adoption, but I just don't have a piece about it. And I just feel like God's calling me to fast. And I'm thinking, great, you know, a day of fasting won't hurt you. He's like, no, God's calling me to fast for 40 days. I'm like, what? You know, it's like, he goes, okay, no, no. He goes, I'm just, he goes, I love sweets. I'd rather have sweets than food. He goes, I'm going to fast sweets for 40 days, and I'm going to pray. I said, go for it. This is a cool story because... My friend told me in his own words, this is what happened. He said, Grandma, on day 40, I went to pray about that child all over again. And he said, when I tried to pray, he said, I could not get any words out of my mouth. It's like I kept trying and nothing would come out. I couldn't pray about it anymore. And he said, in that moment, I got real still and I got real quiet. And I heard on the inside of me, I heard in my heart, in, in my spirit, I heard these words. Happy Father's Day. Well, it was Father's Day. But you know what? Nine months to that day, Jeremiah was born. And two years later, Bethany was born. They're teenagers now. I'd call that an eternal reward. That's amazing. And God does those kinds of things when we fast and pray. It opens up the doors of heaven. I'll share another story with you. I was watching a bio a few weeks ago, and who came along but Alice Cooper. Anybody remember Alice Cooper? I wasn't like a big fan of his, but I always had good feelings because every year 
on the day that school was out where I lived, we'd hear this song blaring all day long. School's out for the summer. Ba-dum, ba-dum. You know, I don't remember anything but that. That's all I remember. School's out for the summer. And I hated school. So I was happy to be out for the summer. But I'm watching him, and he's like this typical rock star. He becomes a full-blown alcoholic, out of control, goes into rehab, gets cleaned up, and he goes, I'm doing really good. And all of a sudden, something comes along in the 70s called cocaine. Even Eric Clapton is singing about cocaine. And he goes, I got hooked on cocaine, and then we went from coke to crack and started smoking it up. And he goes, it took over my life. He said, my wife took my child and left. She was afraid. He said, I was smoking this rock that was so big. He said, I've been smoking it for three days and hadn't got through it yet. He said, I hadn't slept in three days. And he said, suddenly, I walked over to the mirror, and I looked in the mirror, and when I looked at my eyes, he said, I was literally bleeding from my eyes. And he says, I got scared. He said, I'm dying. I'm dying. And he had someone take him to the hospital. I saw a picture of him. He looked like death warmed over. And he said, it was one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. He said, because in that place where I thought I was dying, he goes, I knew that I could not clean up. I could not get off these drugs. I didn't have the strength. I didn't have the ability to do it. And in that moment when I was so weak and I knew there was no other alternative, he said, I called out to Jesus Christ. And I said, Jesus, save me. Jesus, deliver me. And that was in 1983. And Alice Cooper has not taken one drug since 1983. He was so delivered by Jesus Christ that today he'll tell you, I'm not a salesman, but if you ask me, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. And you know what? Here's the other side of that story. To us, he's this big celebrity, but he's somebody's son. And those people came in on the bio, and here were their words. Mom and dad come in, a humble-looking little couple. They come in, they said, yes, it was at that time that we were fasting and we were praying for our son to be delivered. And so complete was God's deliverance that he's still going strong today. Come on. Yeah, we can give Jesus. I love that. And what God does for one person He'll do for you. Testimonies aren't given to just go, wow, God, you're cool. There are a place for you to jump in and say, if God did it for those parents, he'll do it for me and my house. I'm going to share one last story. Our church every year would, would have a time of fasting and prayer, and I have a love-hate relationship with fasting and prayer because I love to eat a lot, as you well know. But I also know that fasting is so important. And we would fast and pray every year. And I got to tell you, there was nothing that my church loved more than the times of prayer and fasting because the most amazing things happened every single time we did it. And one morning on a Saturday morning, we were in a fast and there was a group of us gathered around the altar just praying and just seeking the face of God, just worshiping. And a call comes in from a frantic mother who's been up all night. Her 15-year-old daughter, who wasn't really walking with God, decided to take a joyride with her 16-year-old boyfriend. And they ran into a telephone pole at 60 miles per hour without their seatbelts on. The fire department came out and had to cut this young girl, little Amber, out of that car with the jaws of life. And all the officers on the scene, because this young man, his dad was an LAPD officer, all the officers on the scene and all the firemen, they told 
Brenda, the mom, they said, we've never seen someone live through this. This is a miracle that your daughter is still breathing right now. We got that call. Lori and I rushed over to the ICU. We began to pray for her. Our church was fasting and praying for her. We didn't know if she was going to walk. We didn't know if she was going to talk. We didn't know if she was ever going to see again because, in fact, one of her eyes had been shoved so far back into her skull, they had no way to assess the damage to it. She looked like a horrible mess. But we reached out to the one who has said to us, I am the Lord God who created all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? And we answered to that, no. There is nothing too hard for you. And we reached out in that position of, of humbling ourselves in prayer and fasting. We, we just petitioned the Lord on behalf of her. And that mom was desperate. Much like Hannah in the Bible, you know, desperation's not always a bad thing. Because sometimes desperation will push us into places that we would never go without it. Hannah would have never been desperate for a child had she not been without Samuel. But in her bitterness of soul, she petitioned the Lord. It said she wept and she did not eat. I don't think she planned to fast. But I think sometimes life's problems are so big, we lose our appetites. And we just pray and we seek Him. And he answered, and he so answered Hannah that not only did she have Samuel, the prophet whom she gave back to the Lord, the Bible records that she had another five children on top of that. Because we serve an amazing God. And desperation pushes us into places. And some of you in this room are in desperate situations. And I want to say, be encouraged. Because God will be faithful to you. He will never let you down. You'll never be ashamed for believing in Him. And as we petition the Lord, the end of the story goes like this. One year later, Amber was sitting with her, her mom in our church. She was walking, talking, seeing. And the only way you could tell that she had ever been in that accident was the scar that ran down her face. And this wasn't a kid who was going after God, mind you. You know what? When they brought her out of that induced coma and her eyes first opened, you know what she saw? The first thing she saw was right at the head of her bed. She saw two angels. And incredible peace came over that young girl. Incredible peace came over that family because God is faithful. Guys, I could tell you honestly story after story after story about the power of prayer and fasting. I could. I've seen it work. But here's what I'm most excited about. The leadership of this church believes that we should be doing some prayer and fasting. And what we're going to do is the first three Wednesdays of January, we're going to open this sanctuary for prayer all day. That evening, we're going to come together. We're going to worship the Lord together, and then we're going to pray and seek the face of God. Each day is going to have a focus, but I want to encourage you to get in on this. You might say, well, I'm not that spiritual. You know what? Hey, this isn't bragging on me. I've done everything. I'm going to share with you my failures, okay? The first couple of times I tried to fast and pray, I was in my 20s. My wife will tell you, I was like a skinny glutton. I really was. Like, I mean, I'd pack five sandwiches for lunch. I'd stop at Taco Bell before dinner, and I'd eat candy all day, and I was skinny. I, like, had this ravenous appetite, and I tried to fast and pray in my 20s, 
And I'm telling you, like, I'd skip one meal, and then I'd eat, like, three. And I'd feel, like, totally guilty and condemned. I'd be like, oh, man. And I'd say, I can't get past this. And I'm like, what, well, what's going on with you? Well, when I fast and pray, it's like, I'm starving. I'm starving. No, and I, that's not true. It would take you probably 30 to 40 days to starve. What's happening is when your stomach empties out, it sends a signal to your brain saying, hey, refill me. But you have a lot of extra meals. I got a lot of Happy Meals going on here, okay? A lot of Big Macs are sitting right here with me, okay? Got plenty of fuel. And once I learned that, I go, oh, okay. So, like, if I drink a lot of fluids and, and just tell my stomach that I'll be okay, you know, because how many know your flesh will tell you the fast is over? Like, I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm going to really fast and pray about this. You, you get into that first meal, thus saith the Lord, this fast is over. You have achieved and accomplished your purpose. <laughs> it's like, it probably doesn't work that way. But I would fail every time and I'd feel miserable. But you know what? When I started learning some secrets about it, I started to build that fasting muscle. All the way up to where I've done some very lengthy fasts. And that's not to brag on me because you know what? That's not about bragging. It's about saying there's a hunger for God that, that gets stirred up in us. You know, again, it just comes back to like when you deny one appetite, it sort of like revs up the metabolism of the other. And you become so full of God that you almost never want to walk away from those moments. But no matter where you are, if you can fast the whole day, fast the whole day. If you, if you can't, if you can fast one meal, fast one meal. Some of you are on medications. You've got to have food with your meds. Hey, fast the sweet stuff. We can all get rid of the media. We can all get rid of all that stuff. How many of you know one of the biggest deterrents to our prayer life is this? It's our iPhones. It's our computers. I mean, a lot of times I've got to shut that stuff off to even get into a place of prayer anymore because I'm going to just go check it. There's a lot of competition for our hearts. There's a lot of competition for our souls, 24-7. But something amazing happens when we say no to all that, and we say, God, we're saying no to that so we can say yes to you. And no matter where you are, jump in with us. Come out and pray with us. And you've got a sheet on your chair, which tells you a little bit more about it. But one of the main reasons that we're fasting and praying for his presence is because his presence is the solution and the answer to every need in our lives. So guys, I want to just close with a prayer and I'd like to pray for you. Let's just bow our heads. Father, I just pray for people in this room this morning, especially those who feel hopeless. They feel like there are certain battles they've been in so long they can't remember what it's like to be without that problem. They can't remember what it's like to live without that challenge. They can't remember what it's like to live without that change. Just like the woman who'd been bent over for 18 years, she forgot what it was like to ever walk straight. But when she encountered Jesus Christ in one moment, she stood tall. She stood straight all over again. You are the God of all hope. And I'm praying that you will invade the areas of darkness in our lives where we have felt all hope dissipate. I pray that you will fill each and every one of us with hope, that you'll cause us to overflow with hope through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that you'll, even while we're in the desert, talk to us about what's just on the other side of that river.
the promised land, even in the middle of our trials and our tests. Lord, encourage those who need encouragement in this place today because you are the answer. You are the answer. While every head is bowed, every eye is closed, I just want to do one more thing. I just want to talk to you today. If you're here and you feel God's been kind of pulling on you a little bit already, kind of tugging at your heart, kind of sense that I have a need to really kind of give my life to Him, to open up my heart and say, Jesus, you're now welcome in my life. I've believed in you. I've always believed in you. But I've never really ever at any time in my life made a decision to say, Jesus, from this time forward, I want to follow you. From this time forward, I want to follow your leadership. I want to put the steering wheel of life in your hands. I want you to come into my life. If you've never done that before, I want to give you that opportunity in just a moment to do that with me. And also, too, some of you may be here, you might be visiting with family members, and maybe at one time you walked with God. He was part of your life, but somewhere along the way, life got so busy that he got crowded out of it, and you stopped walking with him. But today, you're saying, you know what, I'm ready to come back home. I'm ready to make that decision. If that's you, I want you to do something with me this morning, and that's just pray a simple prayer. Pray a simple prayer. Pray it from your heart. And when you do, God's listening. And God's taking notice of the decision that you're making in your heart. This is not about you becoming a member of this church or anything like that. This is about what you're doing with Jesus. Church, will you help me pray this? Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I know I've been living without you, and I ask you to forgive me. Thank you that you died for me on the cross. Thank you that because of your death, my sins have been forgiven. I now have a way to the Father. I give you my guilt and shame. I accept you as my Savior. I believe that you rose from the dead and you're alive today. Come into my life now and help me to live the rest of my life with you and for you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.